City on the edge. 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 City two edges. City on the edge. Welcome back to the City on the Edge podcast. Uh, we've got Nora Hickey. Hi. Mike Smith. Hello. And Ty Bannerman here today, and uh, we're going to be talking about the uh, the Indian School. Yes, the Albuquerque Indian School. Yeah, which we have. A lot of people are sort of surprised to find out that there's actually an Indian school, was an Indian school in Albuquerque, right. despite the fact that we have a long road running right. right through town called Indian School. Yeah, yeah. Um, we could also do another show name. on Indian School, The, the Road. road. Sure. Yeah, but people are like, oh, there's actually an Indian school. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there really was. There really was. Um, but first, we've got a little New Mexico news, uh, which is that a few weeks ago yeah. on the West Mesa, on July oh uh, July third, new bones were found yeah. uh, in the approximate location that eleven women's bodies were buried uh, by an unknown mm-hmm. serial killer back in the early two thousands. So, yeah, uh, this made national news. A lot yeah. of people talking about it again. Story. Um, and, and it was interesting how, you know, from the discovery of the bones to finding out who they belong to or right. what era. There was that question of, you know, is it from the West Mesa killer? Is right. it from, oh, yeah. you know, a archaeological What, what is known? Site? I've, I've, like, been, like, kind of backing away from the news a little of bit. Of the serial killer? No, just from all news, just because it's, like, so intense oh. all the time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, what, what, no, I mean, that's not totally true, but I want to. I feel like yeah. I should for my mental health. No, I totally not. But, uh, <laughs> but so, I, so some stories I just end up not, not reading in full, but what, right. what have they found so far? Well, uh, it turned out. I mean, the the good news is uh, there was like a there was like a media kind of freak out about it. Like all the stories yeah. about the old yeah. West Mesa killer stuff uh, recirculated. They started talking to uh, mothers of the the victims that we know about and all this sort of thing. And then it turned out that the bones were part of a thousand year old archaeological site. Oh. So a native site. Yeah, yeah. A native American uh, that, site. So. That's whoa. That story. And what was it in maybe two years ago that there was a dig like a few hundred yards away? Is that and right? so the, the head oh. of the dig was saying, Oh, if only we had right. you know, moved a little bit. Yeah, so it was like a known yeah. archaeological site. Yeah. Um was near there but and they never this found was human part remains. of it. Right. They oh. had not found human remains. That just added an epic dimension to the story. Like right? I mean, wow, that connected a thousand years of history right there. Yeah, I mean, my first thought was, wow, this guy, that guy must have been really old. Oh, man. Yeah. Whoa, he's so um, creepy immortal. <laughs> no wonder they had to solve this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that was that was a, an interesting yeah. <laughs> kind of blip on our uh, on our news scene. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, if you saw the pictures of the dig, it's like right in the middle of a suburban 
neighborhood, you know, like a patch of earth. They're tur- they were turning it into a park, I guess, wow. and that's when they uncovered the bones. So, uh-huh. you know, those forgotten people still exist today. I drove by several of them today, like being dropping my kids off at a dance class. Like you mean the the like the women who just were women killed? that are just like completely forgotten. Not not just women, but yeah. a lot of women, you know. And oh, every and, street corner. Yeah, and just you see these people crossing San Mateo or Central, and it's just like. You know, no one cares. Like they could die, and society as a whole, for the most part, just keeps going. And there, well, there were never any. You know, they just never had yeah. a chance. It's absolutely yeah. You know, but the thing, though, life. too, is I do think people care because I do That's think true. they have people yeah. right. who love them and it's are true. in their lives. Man, that's true. Yeah, it is. It's 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 which makes it more tragic. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but I mean, disappear. Man, now you guys totally. are really bumming me out because well, I thought we were. In, I thought this story was a great one because <laughs> it turned. Oh, it's just a really old archaeology <laughs> site. Now you got to. Sorry, up. sorry. Well, you know, uh, oh God, uh, sorry. Um, remember that story about when the that motel, the desert sands, yep. burned down, oh, and yeah. that woman that was yes. living there had been a captive of the toy box I think killer. We've right. Talked, talked about. She it. she's the one who. Yeah. And she had just had nothing but tragedy happen to her children and her whole family and herself ever since and was living in this horrible motel that burned down. I mean, you know, like that, that's a representative life of a a class of people that they're living in in ways we just don't know. You know what? I, that reminds me of another uh, story I read today in the journal. You ever read uh, Jolene Gutierrez Kruger's stuff? One thing I really like about her stuff is that she tells stories of people who've gone missing yeah. That are often like exactly this like yeah. class of people that you're yeah. talking about. She like, does. She does. That's like good. good on her. Got a story in here yeah. today about a schizophrenic man who uh, died yeah. uh, in Arizona and was they just found his remains recently. Yeah. And she talks to his family about you know what he had been like and like the toll that yeah. mental health yeah. issues mm-hmm. had taken on his life. And I thought, yeah, that's yeah. that's really great that she gives that perspective yeah. too. She's she's and written about personal yeah. family connections oh, yeah. to that, right? Well, I think that's part of why yeah. she's, okay. she's interested. Yeah. 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 I like that she revisited that story, too, you know, uh-huh. that she first reported about. Oh, you saw it? Him and, yeah. Okay. I read the journal in the mornings. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, so... You're an adult. That story is called Years After Disappearing, Missing <laughs> Son Returns Home, if you want to check it out. It's in mm-hmm. the July 11th wow. journal. Um, oh, wow, wow, wow. Well. Yeah. Hi. Shall we move so, along to the Indian school? Should or? we? All right. What's yeah. our what's our banter percentage? Just like five minutes or something. <laughs> the ratio. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Should we up it? All right. Let me just say one Lower. thing really quick. You want to okay. banter about something. I, I want to banter tell. about something. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. I don't travel out of Albuquerque very much lately these days, but I went to Las Cruces recently and stopped in Tier C on okay. the way down there. And... Paying drive on this drive, I paid really close attention to the mountains uh, the uh-huh. whole way, and like I saw Sierra de Ladrones up close, which you can see when you're heading, uh, when you're looking south. Mm-hmm. You know, Mountain of the Thieves, a sky island, completely Ooh. separated. I heard it's amazing. I heard it's just mm-hmm. like walking up a really shambly, loose rock field in, in places. I've talked to a couple of people that have that have hiked it, but but um, uh, on the other side, so you see the Sandias, and then the Sandias become the Manzanitas and the Manzanos, but then they become this other range, the Los Pinos. Okay. And I, had, I like didn't really know much about that, and I don't so know anything about yeah, that. I, they either. were they were really cool looking. I think I'm going to write an episode and do uh, do an episode on the Los Pinos. Cause, Fantastic, because they're part of that same uplift. The event that created the Sandias and the Manzanos created these as well. And you know, like I, I don't feel like they, they get included in like the geologic uh, discussion that we're right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. just even like uh, True Their Consequences on Las Cruces are both yeah. pretty cool little towns that yeah. don't oh, get a lot of great. 
they're not real yeah. high profile in the same way that yeah. I mean even Albuquerque is. It's yeah. like they're our Albuquerque compared to Santa yeah. Fe. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Without Breaking Bad. Yeah, I think TRC is a cool town. I've like every time I go through there, I'm tempted to stay. There. And they still have a working little movie theater. They were playing Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, Fallen King, like a downtown theater. Yeah, like, like with a the single screen classic Ooh, small that's town cool. theater. And they have two bookstores. I bought a, a book on the Gila that was like immediately racist, I was telling you. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> very interesting. Interesting book still. Uh, <laughs> but uh, certainly of its 1940s right. time. But um, anyway, um, yeah, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write something about that. Well, very cool. That soon. I am, yeah, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. Okay. You, you, um, anyway, hey. All right, Nora, you, so you, you, did you write something for yeah, this mm-hmm. one? Oh, yeah. that's great. Okay, so, so tell us about what we're talking about today. Let's... So today we're going to talk about the early years of the Albuquerque Indian School. Okay. So from its inception to, I won't give away the change, where we'll break off. Okay. But yeah, we'll break off. Well, I was just going to say, whereabouts was the Indian School? Oh, right. Um, It's on 12th Street. Okay. Between the highway, I-40, and Manal. And like, it's the land that the Pueblo Cultural Center is on now? Yes, and that new Laguna Burger yes. and the mm. big uh, oh, Starbucks I, I over there. I set it up in my first paragraph. Ah, okay. Oh. So <laughs> I'm sorry. Am, am I ruining yes. your, your intro here? Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll just have to learn about that again. An hour to write that sentence too. Okay. Well, Yay. shall we go ahead and just jump okay. on into uh, it? <laughs> okay. On a sun-baked July day, customers move in and out of two bustling Albuquerque businesses. The new Laguna Burger restaurant and two and a half year old Starbucks that sit on 12th Street between Indian School Road and Manal Boulevard are markers of the steady development helmed by the Indian Pueblo Federal Development Corporation, an organization made up of and run by the 19 Pueblos in the state. These are Acoma, Cochiti, Isleta, Jemez, Laguna, Nambe, Oke Owinge, Picuris, Pawaki, Sandia, San Felipe, San Ildefonso, Santa Ana, Santa Clara, Santo Domingo, Taos, Tesuque, Zia, and Zuni. Future plans for the nearby land, which now sits empty, waiting, include a regional office for the Bureau of Indian Affairs, a state-of-the-art facility for Indian health services, more restaurants, and a hotel. The burgeoning activity at the site is both because and in spite of a past inhabitant of this land, the Albuquerque Indian School. In 1879, a white lieutenant in the Civil War, Richard Henry Pratt, opened the first Indian boarding school, the now notorious Carlisle School in Pennsylvania. Pratt's school and others like it were a part of the growing movement to assimilate indigenous children through harsh religious and military style education. In Pratt's own infamous words, the movement to assimilate natives rested on the belief that white people and their institutions must, quote, kill the Indian to save the man, end quote. Two years later, in 1881, nearly 2,000 miles to the west, the U.S. Indian Bureau contracted the Presbyterian Church to open an Indian school of their own in the slowly growing frontier town of Albuquerque. It wouldn't be until 1976 and many changes in management that the 19 Pueblos of New Mexico would take full control of the school. 
In the close of the 19th century, the school had moved from a one-building school in Duranis, which housed an average attendance of 70 pupils, to 44 acres with numerous buildings and an average attendance of 300. Before the Presbyterians had ceded control to the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 1886, the students were taught arithmetic, geography, reading, spelling, and object lessons. According to a letter from Congressional Chairman Clinton B. Fisk, who visited the school in 1884, quote, the teaching is entirely in English and well done. Discipline in the classroom is good, and most of the scholars appear bright and interested in their studies, end quote. We can only imagine what kind of discipline that was, as there are few records of student experiences from this time. The Presbyterian leadership also introduced practical education, such as carpentry and other trade work for the boys, and domestic tasks like sewing, cooking, and nursing for the girls. All these skills were often employed on site, where the male pupils made furniture and repaired and painted buildings. In these early days, the number of Native students grew, particularly in 1885, when the school saw a noted influx of 60 Apache youths, some of whom ran away, predominantly older captives. We do not know what happened to these students, if they returned to their home or perished along the way. We do know that six years later, in 1891, one student from Isleta Pueblo, with a given American name of Sarah Davis, was shot after fleeing to her Pueblo, her home. Her death is noted in the student ledger of the same year, in the same column where students are identified as married or moved to a new school. The cursive script next to Sarah Davis reads, quote, dead, accidentally shot at Isleta. Her given true name is not noted. In 1886, the Indian Bureau took over control of the school from the Presbyterians and found declining enrollment from many of the surrounding Pueblos, who objected to the forced boarding of their children far from home. The Utes were particularly concerned as half of the students in, in attendance two years ago in 1884 had died. There were no Ute students enrolled in the school by 1887. Around this time began a years-long public and consequential dissent by the Pueblos against the Protestant reformers at the helm of the government-controlled, Pratt-styled Albuquerque Indian School. Daniel Dorchester, the U.S. Superintendent of Indian Schools nationwide, came to New Mexico and created a false picture of people he knew little about. In pushing for the aggressive assimilation of the Pratt model, Dorchester painted all Pueblo inhabitants with the same deceitful brush, that of a heathen who practiced dark religion and rituals and needed the white man to succeed. In the face of this slander and the Albuquerque Indian School's practice of holding students during vacations and the school year against their will, the parents of Isleta Pueblo and journalist Charles Loomis fought back. Loomis, an advocate for and resident of Isleta, had moved to New Mexico to recover from paralysis caused by a stroke. Here, he wrote articles on the Pueblos, survived an assassination attempt by a San Mateo hitman, and married a longtime white resident of Isleta, Eve Douglas. At Isleta, he became friends with his landlord, Juan Ray Abieta, who had children in AIS 
and was unhappy that his sons were being forced to stay at the school year-round. Abietta had willingly enrolled his first two sons in the school, but his youngest was forcibly taken during a time when the superintendent, William Krieger, wanted to increase a low enrollment. When Abietta had gone to collect his sons for a summer holiday and was thrown off the grounds with force and threats, he turned to Loomis for help. After talking with the parents, Loomis obtained a lawyer in Albuquerque, Catholic Joseph Marin, who would file a writ of habeas corpus, which allowed the parents to appeal for their children's freedom from wrongful imprisonment. Before the writ was filed, Krieger relented and agreed to return the Isleta students to their Pueblo. After years away, a son of Abietas had forgotten his native language, Tiwa, and needed a translator to speak to his mother. At this point, Krieger and his actions were gaining negative press in Albuquerque, and he was let go. Not far after him went Dorchester and other higher-ups in the Indian Bureau. On the national level, the government reluctantly gave more rights to the parents of Indian school students. And on the local level, the successful legal battle by Isleta marked a perceptible shift in attitudes towards more openness and sharing between faculty and students of AIS. AIS students were becoming more known to the community at large, exhibiting and winning many blue ribbons at the territorial fair and through increased use of the outing system, which sent pupils to work in the community. In 1905, with 66 boys and eight girls working in the community at the rail yards, farms, and homes, the total earnings for students was $2,350.39. Sports became a beloved activity, with the girls' basketball team beating every opponent in the territory. Arts flourished, with pottery and weaving as particular strengths. Some students took their crafts to the World's Fair of 1904 in St. Louis. Blacksmithing, carpentry, and adobe making continued. A printing press was purchased in 1905 so the students could publish a monthly school paper. More land was bought, buildings constructed, and facilities modernized. The residents of Albuquerque helped to raise funds for a street to run from the steps of the school to Fourth Street. Attendance fluctuated. In 1900, most students enrolled were Mexican nationals with proof of indigeneity. A year later, a new superintendent pushed for, quote, full-blooded, unprogressive Indians, meaning natives who were less assimilated. Most of the Mexican students were kicked out by 1903 in an effort to fill the school with local Pueblo and Navajo students. At this time, daily average attendance was 286. In the ensuing years, students came and went. Buildings burned and new ones erected in their place. The farm on campus grew crops of corn, alfalfa, and more. The football team narrowly lost the interscholastic championship to Albuquerque High School. The school band played at many city and state functions. More and more students were in the community, working via the outing system. Different religious leaders of Christian denominations were allowed to preach at the school, which was seen as an inclusive act and provided some comfort to those students who were Protestant or Catholic. Many principals cycled through, notably one Mr. Fred Lubdell, who from 1921 to 1922, quote, spent part of the time amusing his friends playing a mouth organ instead of introducing progressive teaching methods, end quote. 
One woman, Isis Harrington, assumed the role from 1922 to 1933 when she retired because she disagreed with John Collier, the new commissioner of Indian Affairs on the matter of boarding schools. Collier, a sociologist and social reformer, wanted to transition the Indian schools across the nation into day and public schools. He also pushed for preserving native culture over assimilation. With the retirement of many longtime faculty and administration, Albuquerque Indian School began a new chapter, one which we will discuss with local historians. And so we reached out to the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center, and they put us in touch with Rachel Moore, who's the curator there, and she got us in touch with Joe Sabatini, who yeah. does historical presentations oh, cool. on huh. the Albuquerque Indian School. So the, the guy who was the chief propagandist against the Burson Bill, which would have destroyed the Pueblo land base in the 20s, became Franklin Roosevelt's... Um, uh, Indian Bureau uh, chief and he was he said we should stop trying to stamp out the culture you know let's mm. let let people practice you know their their historic ways and, mm. and that is reflected in acceptance of uh, okay the Indian culture is good too we just have we just have better and we're going to teach them but we can integrate the best parts of Native culture into and, and perpetuate it. Mm -hmm. So the, rather than blindly killing off everything they would... Uh, yeah. So um, the Indian New Deal, it's called, and, mm -hmm. and that is reflected in the schools. Took a while for the faculties to catch on. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's culture lag right. in that. But... Uh, so here um, in the 30s, the New Mexico starts actively uh, realizing the tourist value of uh, people who are living practically as Coronado found them in 1540. <laughs> you can find a lot of postcards and yeah, jour the, journals. And, the, and, you know, Clyde Tingley... Um, set that up, three cultures living in harmony, mm. and come come see uh, the, the, a different corner. Loomis is part of that, too. He, mm. he uh, put out the motto, see America first. You don't have to go to Europe to see castles. We've got castles. You know, we've got right. old Spain in our southwest. Mm. Over time, the Pueblo proportion mm -hmm. declines the Navajo portion increases because the uh, Johnson O'Malley Act that people can um, uh, now have a choice that uh, if you're at Cochiti, um, the Johnson O'Malley funds will pay the Bernalillo School District to uh, the per, per mm -hmm. capita rate uh, in lieu of property tax. So you have a choice, and so children start going to their local schools and their school buses. They don't have to send them off to boarding school. Mm -hmm. And so gradually, um, as, as uh, in the post-war area, um, fewer ch parents are sending their children to the school, 
and Navajo is so big and it's behind the, the curve on all that. Mm -hmm. There are not local school districts you can send kids to in the same way that the Pueblos mm -hmm. can, uh, so their proportion increases. Religion is another aspect where there's connection to community. Um, to, to the extent that uh, churches built missions to serve the students and faculty of the school. Mm. Then you start getting programs where the, the Indian school doesn't teach certain subjects, but they make an arrangement with the public school system to send children to Albuquerque High School. Oh. And so these are the downtown students. Notice Isadora Shattuck. So gradually, talk about the Navajo increase and mm -hmm. special Navajo programs. Um, some of the code talkers were recruited from Albuquerque High School, Albuquerque Indian School. Oh wow! Yeah, because they were you know English fluent and right. and and the like. So it was one of the sources for Navajo mm -hmm. code talkers. A class of forty one had Navajo men in it and who were recruited to the mm -hmm. Marines. Uh, border town. So, so the enrollment's declining. You've got this mm -hmm. physical plant. So here's Tohajale out, out here, the mm -hmm. Navajo. Um, how about we use the dorms, uh, bring the children in for the week, weekdays, and then truck them over to West Mesa High School? Uh, border town. Huh. At the end, you know, the technology, they even had a little television station. But by the end, you're down to 200 students, and these are, uh, at this point, mostly kids who wouldn't be taken in other schools. They were, it, oh. it, at, the, at the end, there's no stock of students. And then the, the physical plant is deteriorating and no money to, because the mm -hmm. government wants to get out of the, the business. Right. Uh, the gas leak that put 22 students and staff in hospital Ooh. was the final blow that made the decision to close. Now, in 1971, Richard Nixon, the friend of Indians, who signed the Blue Lake Bill, who signed the Indian Self-Determination Act, which allowed the Bureau to contract with tribal governments mm -hmm. to provide the services that the Indian Bureau Mm -hmm. um, was providing the All Indian Pueblo Council says, let's bid on the in, on Albuquerque and Santa Fe Indian School. They are the first tribes to get a contract under the Indian Self Determination Act. Wow. So they take over the management of these schools. But for the Albuquerque Indian School, it's too late. What is the year of that? That's 1975 or 6 is the contract. And so alongside that, so you're not, you're not farming anymore. You stopped farming about 1960. So the land across the street, across 12th Street, is kind of surplus. So uh, here's this bid from the All-Indian Pueblo Council. We'd like to create a gateway, a center, the Indian Pueblo Cultural mm -hmm. Center. Mm -hmm. But so, okay, the school moved to Santa Fe, and I'll go quickly through this because I've overspent my time here. Um, the Pueblos don't maintain the campus. 
have no resources to, have no mm -hmm. inclination to. It falls apart. Trees die. It was mm. a beautiful campus. Trees die. Um, vagrants move in. Mm. Uh, the set fire. There's all these file cabinets, and so you uh -oh. take out papers from file cabinets and you sleep under them in the winter. Right. Okay. And then you set little fires, and then the buildings burn down, and um, so then you clear the whole site. Let let TVI, CNMs, trades, oh, right. bunch practice on a can uh, on on demo. How do you demolish buildings? Okay. So they clear it. On Manuel Lujan, in his last day as Secretary of the Interior, um, in January of 1993, turns over the campus to the All Indian Pueblo Council, making it Indian Trust Territory, and suddenly this is a reservation, not a federal facility on, hmm. on city land. So the city doesn't doesn't have control over it anymore, right. zoning, the like. And they create an economic development corporation, and the neighbors freak out and think there's going to be a casino, and there's fights and lawsuits and rummage sales to raise money for the lawyers, and et cetera, oh, wow. et cetera which creates political pressure. So here, you know, here's this 66 acres in the middle of the, a city that's mm -hmm. suddenly an Indian reservation. But, but that requires all these city services. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, they create a development agreement that um, the Pueblo governors agree collectively that we will co-adopt everything the city of Albuquerque has, its zoning ordinances, et cetera, uh, with the proviso that if any of that inter impinges on our sovereignty, then we don't have to do it. But we'll tell you what mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. And you will, there are joint powers contracts so that the city will provide police services uh, mm -hmm. to, to this um, development. Mm -hmm. And sewer and water and lights and, you know, street right. lights and, and stuff. So... That's signed in 2002. It's modified. The, there are two federal office buildings built on the campus uh, and, um, and a Holiday Inn, which supports a facility in the federal office building, the Bureau of Indian Affairs National Training Center. Oh, okay. So in addition to highway traffic, the, you know, the interstate mm -hmm. traffic, the Holiday Inn Old Town, as they brand it, um, uh, also has this the, these customers who are from tri you know, tribes all over the mm -hmm. United States. Their guys coming in to take a five day computer course. And it's still held by all of the pueblos. Yes, mm -hmm. New Mexico. Correct. Okay. Uh, okay. So here's this forty four acres on the east side of Twelfth Street. Um, what happens if there's a full build-out, that they're successful, they've got all these stores and offices and whatever? Um, so there's a planning process in 2005. Say, you know, If there were five federal office buildings instead of two and major stores on this property, 
how does that impact the traffic? How are we going to make 12th Street work? How are we going to make Manal work? How do we get employees onto the freeway? So we have this public process mm -hmm. and come up with plans, and there's ongoing um, plans that the Development Corporation comes up with. So we get the roundabout. We right. get one roundabout, and Ed Hadaway's peculiar piece of art on it. <laughs> um, more process. Um, you know, it's three phases. We just finished phase two. So we get beautiful streets, we get mm -hmm. landscaping, we get carriage strips, we get uh, uh, turquoise street light, uh, you know, mm -hmm. at, like, in yeah. front of the, because uh, we've renamed the streets turquoise, turquoise pumpkin, and pumpkin eagle way, yeah. and mm -hmm. um, whatever. So, okay. I keep planning, and then we get a McDonald's, and that's another story I won't do. <laughs> the, the, so building 232 is the was not destroyed because the Bureau of Indian Affairs was still in it. Okay. And the only one of, what uh, was it, like 48 buildings some, right, yeah. that didn't get destroyed? So, but the in development corporation has the Corps of Engineers do a study of the building, and they say it's going to take five million dollars to renovate it and we to tear it down. At which point, for other reasons, the uh, governors fire the Indian Pueblo Development Corporation's staff and put the Indian Pueblo Cultural Centers. Uh, for-profit arm, Indian Pueblo Marketing Incorporated, mm -hmm. in charge of developing the campus. Mm -hmm. uh, and the new the new guys, Mike Canfield, you know, the, and Ted Hohola is, uh, is, is in the mix saying, save this building. Mm -hmm. So it gets on the National uh, Trust for Historic Preservation with these three alumna, mm -hmm. um, the Shattuck sisters, including... Isidore Shattuck, who I pointed out, yeah. yes, and uh, Agnes Still, and those were very prominent, venerable ladies, mm -hmm. um, and talking about how the guy who designed the building was an employee who's half Pueblo and half Barrelas, you know. Joe Padilla is yeah. the designer. Mm -hmm. And he had his carpentry students help in, the, in building. You know, they, they got... They worked it out with the building trades to where the kids who were in those shop classes could apprentice, I guess. So students participated in the construction of it. Wow. So here's Ted and uh, a class that he gave on, on specific to this building that created the momentum. So mm. the, the decision was made to renovate it. And here's this charter school, the Native American Community Academy, wanting a new campus. They're out on Wilson Middle School's campus. Mm. And so they, we continue to make plans to do wonderful things. And the, the Indian-style Starbucks is a wonderful success. The Laguna Burger is a wonderful yeah. success. And I'm gonna, I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, a lot of changes and a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of history right on this yeah. little tract of land. You want to respect all of those experiences from those older people that, you know, were severely traumatized to those that, you know, have accepted it. Um, so it's a very interesting history when you talk about 
Albuquerque Indian School, at least comparatively when I look at other Indian schools. Because other Indian schools, they weren't as severely, or they weren't as close-knit into the communities. Mm. Um, they didn't have, like we had the 19 Pueblo Consortium of all the governors, of 19 governors coming forward and saying, you know, this is what's going to happen. Um, big. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's a very unique thing that Albuquerque had, in my opinion, <laughs> when it comes to that. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting. interesting. It's such a rich history that is often neglected. Right. Thanks. I'm just gonna move that up so that you. Thanks. Yeah, um, and an ongoing history too. I mean, I guess like, right. like most history, it's ongoing. But with this, I feel like it's easy to say, "Oh, the buildings are gone," and you mm. know, the, obviously yeah. Indian schools are like a thing of the past now um, in some in most places. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it is in fact still owned by the pueblos mm-hmm. and still serving that legacy. Right. Yeah. Really interesting that there's this little like you know bit of sovereign land still in the middle of Albuquerque. Right, right? in the middle of town. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that's cool. And <sighs> I think that um, the the end of it seemed so rapid with the yeah. gas leak, and yes. I was looking yeah. it up, and I guess 22 students and six staff almost succumbed to carbon monoxide poisoning. Whoa, that's major. Yeah. Um, furnace leak. Oh, man. And so they had to shut down the school, so they just transferred the rest of the students yeah. to the Santa Fe Indian uh, School. We, we had a colleague, who I won't name, in grad school, who like had, had nerve damage from a gas leak in his building. That's like serious yeah. stuff when, when, that, when that happens, you know? Like it can affect your memory and, and uh, your thinking for the rest of your life. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. That's, um, whew, man. Um, so that I, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was really interesting. Though. I was glad that he carried it into the present, talking about it. Very interesting. I I applied for a job there once at the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center as like a staff writer, and uh, I I think I botched it with the final question on the interview. They're like, "What's your dream job?" And I'm like, "A shepherd on a remote island." And I'm like, "Oh crap! I should have said writer's <laughs> room on like a show or something, something collaborative." Oh no! I betrayed my inner loner. Nobody no. wants to hire the I know. island like, dwelling <laughs> solo but, uh, shepherd. Yeah, anyway. But they're doing the <laughs> Pueblo Cultural Center. They have so much stuff going on now. I'm yeah. really impressed with their events and their exhibitions. And Yeah. It's, no, it's a great it's space. It's a really cool space. Really cool exhibits that they do there. Yeah. They're just classy and like yeah. beautiful, you know? Yeah. I'm trying not to use that word classy. It's inherently classist, right? <laughs> I guess, like, if you class that <laughs> also, communicates, yeah. yeah. At least 60% of the time yeah. it's used sarcastically, too. Oh, so. that's true. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like we recognize things that we would apply that word toward, where we're just like, oh, this yeah. is really nice. And, like, right. you know, yeah. like, it's just elegant and clean lines mm. and whatever, you know. Mm. But, yeah, yeah anyway, yeah. But they have some beautiful, awesome exhibits there. And they're so interesting because oh, yeah, it's great. like yeah. this incredible history of the city that most people just have no clue of, And then, et cetera. what is it, Building 242 that he talked about? Is, yeah, is, the, uh, the original. That's a, the last standing original wow. Indian school building is now huh. being used for the Native American Community Academy. Oh, neat. A charter school in Albuquerque that does... Yeah. A lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, they have exhibits all the time. My wife has worked with many of the wow. students cool. on her various projects. So That's shout cool. out to Naka. Mm-hmm. And know, I think they do projects 
wasn't Rachel telling us that they did projects about the Indian school and got paired up with an alum? So yes. I think, yeah, they are yeah. researching the history. I, I want to well, say our listeners are really lucky for all the hustle you two have put in on this episode. I mean, seriously, I've done very little of the footwork on this one. You two really got awesome stuff. He you did great bring a beer today, though. Information? Oh, yeah. Yes, he well, did bring beer. Well, um, yeah, yeah, Nora, Nora was, was point on this one for sure, and uh, we did a, yeah, did a lot of cool it was, stuff. It was a long span of time, sorry yeah. listeners. Yeah. It's summer, and we're trying to get interviews. and yeah. yeah, and there are some things that didn't come through that we, right. uh, we thought would, and, and who knows, we might do a, we, yeah. a part two. And we might have bonus point. interviews and pictures <laughs> um, on our right. site. It's yeah, kind exactly. of funny that you we went to the... Cultural center and and just kept getting referred to people that weren't Native American. Yes, well. you know, but uh, they have the um, yeah. the public cultural center seal of approval. So. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. Well, no, and what great information he covered there. Like mm-hmm. seriously, and that, really, there isn't. Uh, when I was looking, there's not a whole ton of information yeah. out there. And one of the things I found was because uh, of the fires that uh, Joe yeah. was talking about, a lot of written records yeah. were lost. That makes oh. sense. That's that tragic. Makes sense. You know, I have. I have this book. It's a 1940s out-of-print book, but it's called Tula, A Girl of the Pueblos. And um, it's like a picture book using photographs of a little girl here in Albuquerque. And she is taken to a boarding school, and she goes to a boarding school. But it's like, I know it's just the west side of town. It looks like, it never says what Pueblo she's Hmm. she's from, that I recall. But I'll I'll bring it in sometime and show you guys. And I want to mention the books I did use. Um, There were two... It looks like sort of self-published books. One was a thesis by um, a student at UNM in 1934, and it's called History of the Albuquerque Indian School. I got it at Zimmerman Library. Amazing that that exists. It's by Lily McKinney. It's a bit racist. (laughs) Um, So be forewarned if you go check it out. And then the (laughs) other one was the Philosophy Goals Objectives of the Albuquerque Indian School put forth when the Indian um, Pueblo Council took over in 1976. So this was their set of goals for the school moving forward. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Yeah. And And then the other book, just one more, which is a good source, um, was, it's called Education at the Edge of Empire, Negotiating Pueblo Identity in New Mexico's Indian Boarding Schools. Wow, that's awesome. By John Graham, Theodore Hohola, who is someone that we wanted to talk to and is very big in the revitalization history. Um, he's a professor at UNM, and so you can get that online yeah. if you have UNM That looks great. Yeah. That's really cool. So cool. You, did you also, did you skim or look at that American character by oh, yes. Loomis? Yes, Charles and Fletcher? I borrowed, a, Mike lent me a book. It's not by Loomis, it's about him, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, um, man, I got that book because he goes through Golden, New Mexico, which had a little newspaper I've always been fascinated with. We could do an episode about that sometime. Oh, yeah. Um, the, uh, I have an article about that. But, man, the, so what, what was the most interesting thing that you two thought you found out in your research? Um, well, I, I thought... <laughs> I didn't do that much research on this, honestly. Oh, okay. But this really, Nora, um, really were, talking to Talking to Joe and yeah. uh, Rachel... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one thing that I'd never really considered was the agreements between the city of Albuquerque and the Pueblo Cultural Center organization and how, because it's sovereign land, it complicates a lot of things like utilities and having a, you know, who, who answers when you call 911 at right. the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center? Wow. Well, it's the Albuquerque Police Department, wow. but it isn't, that's not 
a no-brainer. They had to actually negotiate that. They had to figure that out because um, uh, Pueblo affairs are typically handled right. by Pueblo government. Right. And so th who, who would be the ones to deal with this? Wow. So an interesting layer of wow. bureaucracy that not everybody yeah. you yeah. Know, considers. How about you, Nora? It sounds like I think just the whole scope of the school, that it was so varied. And if you hear of the Carlisle style of Indian schools, you know, you think um, oppressive, awful, violent, and that there was that element here, but then it changed, you know, with different leaders at the helm cool. and all the different yeah. types of education that went on, especially the, um, the working out program mm. where students went out into the community mm. and learned trade and... That sounded interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Interesting. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to, like, my first impulse talking about this stuff is it's just all bad, right? Children taken right. away from their families and indoctrinated out of their culture. But it sounds right. like it, it, the school evolved and it, like, yes. you know, ended up meaning different things to different people. Absolutely. Students. Totally. Yeah. And apparently, you know, many people have very fond memories of having huh. been there. Whereas, certainly, especially at the beginning of, of the Indian school, it yeah. was... Kind of horrific. A yeah. lot of the, mm -hmm. a lot of the philosophy that behind it, a lot of the actions oh, yeah. that people did. So yeah. I read this great comic once, and I had it on my the side of my desk for a long time because I thought it was so cool. It was uh, an account from the Navajo poet and songwriter Vincent Craig of being in, bo in boarding school when when mm -hmm. he was a kid, and um, and uh, he said that they would have a movie night every week, but they couldn't all afford to go. They'd, and so what they would do is they would like all put their pennies together and it was 10 cents to go to it and they would send their best storyteller to go to the movie and then he, then that kid would be responsible for telling the story of the movie to everybody in an engaging wow. way after. Wow. That was part of the investment. I wish we had a recording of one of those stories. Oh, no, I know. Cool. Yeah, like, or yeah, something. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, doing yeah. that now with, like, Batman versus Superman? Like, um, this guy yes. started throwing <laughs> right. rocks. Yeah. Sorry, guys. It wasn't very turtle. good. <laughs> <laughs> Give kudos to, to Nora for you know the great Aww. essay and and yeah, uh, that doing was a really research good piece on writing. this. I really enjoyed that. Thanks to Joe Sabatini and and Rachel Moore, and the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center for working with us on this. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, check them out. I'm sorry, I forgot to.